Well, amen and amen. Whew. I love that song. Love it. God is good. Um, if you ever, I was going open with me to Colossians, obviously. We're going to be in Colossians uh, for uh, several weeks. So when I say open in your Bibles, you know where we're going to be. We're going to hang out in the book of Colossians. We're going to be going verse by verse through this book as we look at and ask ourselves, really, how do we know Christ is first? Next Sunday, I'm specifically going to preach why Christ should be first in your life. So you can get a heads up. So, but today we're going to hit verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be looking at uh, today, ultimately, how we should pray with purpose, praying with purpose. Now, how many of you today, you're here, you have played uh, Little League in some form or, or some way? Little League? How many of you have coached Little League, been involved in Little League, been around Little League? All right, you're going to know then, uh, Little League, when I was there, I'm assuming they still do this, when I, I played Little League, they would march us all out on the field and they'd line us up on the line, all of us would stand there, and then we had to say a, a Little League pledge. They still do that, I'm sure they do. The pledge went something like this, I trust in God, I love my country, and I will respect its laws. I will play fair and strive to win, but win or lose, I will always do my best. Anybody? Y'all remember that? Y'all with me? Anybody out there? Yeah, I think the reason they would do that was really for like players like me, okay? They wanted to remind us what the main thing was about. It was not about winning at all costs. It was not about getting mad, slinging a bat, talking to refs. It was not about any of those things. At the end of the day, it was about reminding us why we play. I will always do my best, win, lose, or draw. See, now though, they've realized, you know, that's good. Like we need to remind players that, but we need to pledge for parents too, right? All right, we need to remind parents. So now at a lot of ball fields, there'll be a sign that's standing up. It'll say something like this, reminders for your child. I'm just a kid. It's just a game. My coach is a volunteer. The officials are humans and no college scholarships will be handed out today. <laughs> See, the, the reminder is there so, because we can forget. Right, you go to the games and all of a sudden you're thinking about, man, this is more than a game. This is life, all right? Your kid's eight years old and they're playing against your neighbor. And we live in the South. This is bragging rights, all right? And then you're thinking, all right, listen, if my kid is sitting on the bench like right now at eight years old, then what's gonna happen? They're not gonna play in middle school. They don't play in middle school. They're not gonna play in high school. They don't play in high school. They're not getting a scholarship. We don't have money for college. Coach, put my kid in the game, right? The Braves are over here scouting your eight-year-old. Yeah, right, but for us, we, we forget what this really is. I love the other day, the Atlanta Braves signed a, an outfielder and he took a, a pretty big pay cut to stay with the Braves, Nick Markakis. And they asked Nick, they said, you know, Nick, you took a pretty large pay cut to stay with the Braves. You had contract offers that literally were five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year more than this contract to come stay with the Braves for one year. And he said, are you disappointed or upset? Now, some of you, just be honest, right now, you're thinking, I love the Braves, but for $8 million more, I, what team wants me, right? But Nick said, no, you know what? I, he said, I always try to keep the right perspective. I get to play a kid's game as an adult for a whole lot of money. See, for him, it was about remembering what it really is. It really is a game. It really is a game that he gets to play. And I know, well, you know it's a business. And, and it, but you know, at the heart of it, it's a game. You know, as the church, we can forget what the main thing really is. It's easy to make other things the center point for our life and not Jesus. 
we can begin to make our life about so many other things that we begin to live for that. And often, if we're not careful, we won't even know that Jesus has been removed from being the most important thing. And we've, we've placed other things there, like worry or doubt or fear or whatever. So today, we're gonna start in this book of Colossians looking as we walk through it at several passages. But ultimately, as we look at Colossians, we wanna ask ourselves, how is Jesus the center of our life? And is he the center of our life? And so here's what I wanna do. Before I even read the text this morning, I found in my own life, in my own study, that man, before I even read God's word, when God addresses and cleans my heart up, I'm able to hear what he's got to say. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads right now. If you just bow your heads, close your eyes, it's just you and I, all right? Our people, you're watching online right now, maybe you just wanna, in your home, right where you're at, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Here's what I want us to do. Before we enter into God's word, I just wonder, it's just me and you looking, literally, there's no one on the stage, it's me and you, but I am looking, so you know. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Please honor and respect what I'm about to ask. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning in a moment of honesty would say, you know what, God, you and I both know that you are not at the center of my life. Right, you know that. So before I even start this sermon series, God, I wanna confess that. I truly want to get the most out of your word. Lord, I truly want to hear from you. But God, before I do that, I need to be honest with you. I wanna confess it right now, God. I know that you're not the center. So I just wanna ask you, Lord, would you help show me through this sermon series how and why you should be the center of my life? Look, heads are bowed. Nobody's looking, just me and you. How many of you would say, honest, that's me? This one. Simply raise your hand up and say, hey, that's me. Man, that's me. Man, there are several of us in this place that, hey, that's us. So right now, we just wanna confess that to the Lord and we wanna ask him to help us. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, several people have already said, God, in confession, I know that you're not the center of my life. There's other things that have taken that place. So Father, we are asking through the power of your word that you would show us not only why you should be center, but how you can take that central role in our life. How we can see, Lord, our life, how we can see our goals, ambitions, and dreams all through you. So Lord, through the power of your word, would you move our hearts? That what would be said of Shirley Hills, what would be said of our lives is that you are center, that you are the main thing, and everything we say and do is all about you. Would you be our purpose? We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter one. You ready? Here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God to our Father. Standard introduction, really nothing that different here, pretty standard, this is what he says in verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's starting this letter off in prayer. We always thank God when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about the, this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day that you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn from this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the spirit. Now I'm gonna keep reading just a moment but I wanna take a moment and really just work through that section for a little bit, okay? Let's talk about that section. What we're gonna find, I'm gonna give you the two main points right from Jump Street, and then we'll flesh them out. First of all, we're gonna see that Paul, he had a Christ-centered focus, and this is how he displayed it. He displayed it in his thankfulness and his prayerfulness. His Christ-centered focus showed, all right, it showed in his thankfulness 
and in his prayerfulness. So let's start with his thankfulness. Let's start with his thankfulness. You can tell a lot about somebody and what they're thankful for. You can tell a lot about what our focus is and what we thank God for, all right? And so we get to kind of see this insight in the Apostle Paul and how he's thankful for the church of Colossae. Now, this letter is written to, to the church of Colossae, and in that time, Colossae was not like a major city. It was not a major town. It was not a major place. This book is written, this letter is written from jail. The Apostle Paul, this is the first of what we call the, uh, the, these letters from jail. He had four of them. Uh, and so he's in Rome. He's, he's literally in chains and shackles, and he writes this letter. And so knowing that, we have to ask ourselves, why would the Apostle Paul write a letter to kind of a smaller church that was off of a highway that wasn't a huge city or this big influence. Now we're gonna know that there's some issues that one, uh, some people are trying to preach a false gospel and he's gonna address that. But I believe there's another reason he's writing this letter. And that is because as the gospel is advancing, he wants to make sure that the church is growing in authenticity. That it's not growing because it's popular, it's just like what it should do, but that the gospel is truly taking root and what's happening is that, man, they're growing with Christ at the center of it and with no other reason. Recently, a study was done in uh, millennials and, and Generation X and really uh, all of your teens, everyone in their 20s and, and kind of young 30s, up to mid 30s, okay? Uh, they were doing that uh, uh, kind of a, a conversation to figure out what's driving them, like what's important to them. And here's what they found, are you ready? The number one thing they care about the most the number one driving philosophy for them. Are you ready? It's not job security, it's not money, it's not fame. Do you wanna know the number one driving force? This will help understand some of your, your kids right now. You ready? Here it is. It's authenticity. Authenticity. The number one thing they're looking for in church, life, school, jobs, people they look up to are people that to them are genuine, real. People, it's, it's honest. And what he's writing is he wants to make sure that the church is growing through the power of the gospel and that it's rooted in the word of God and that they're becoming an authentic people. So listen how we see Paul write about uh, into a church where we get to see his Christ-centeredness and his thankfulness. Look with me in verse three. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Why? For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He starts by saying, I'm thankful that you've placed your faith in Christ. He starts the letter with the most important thing. I'm thankful that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you might see that and go, oh, well, you just read over it. But he makes this first. What he's most thankful for in the church is not that they're big time givers, not that they're super gifted, it's not they're super talented, it's not that they're well known. He says, I'm thankful that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm convinced in my own life that I really don't take time to celebrate enough all the people that have come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I believe maybe for some of you, you, you don't celebrate enough what God is doing to, to share the gospel, maybe perhaps because like we preached last week in the fruit of evangelism. Maybe you'd say, well, I'm not really sharing the gospel, so I'm not seeing people saved. I'm not seeing lives changed. Or maybe you don't even know somebody that is leading somebody to Christ. So when we talk about celebrating what God's done, you haven't really been around or put yourself in a position to celebrate it. The Apostle Paul is celebrating that these people have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They're trusting in the Lord. Listen, today, all over the world, people are placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord. Hey, everybody, listen to me. Jesus is not just on the throne 
of Warner Robins. I mean, how big of a God would he be if he was only the God of Warner Robins? He's not only the God of middle Georgia, even though that makes it bigger. He's not only the God of Georgia or the United States of America. He says the earth is his footstool. He is the God of all creation. And so right now, there are people in every continent coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord because there are churches, people, missionaries, pastors, people, followers of Christ who are living out the gospel, and we ought to celebrate the fact that people are coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We ought to celebrate, remember, he says, I'm thankful, I first thank God that you've come to know Christ. Man, we ought to celebrate that in the lives of our children, in the lives of our home. We ought to celebrate in the lives of people that we meet and know. Man, aren't you thankful that people have come to know Christ? But then he, he takes it a step further. He says, not only am I thankful for your faith in Christ, but then he also says, I'm thankful for your love of the saints. You see, this faith in Christ, it's authentic, it's genuine, because now it's beginning to produce fruit in that not only are they loving God, but they're loving other people. The love for this church, his love for other saints. He says, man, I'm grateful, I'm excited, I'm thankful that you love God and that you love his church. Uh, he says, if you, don't, if you don't have to love, listen, 1 Corinthians 13, it's a letter in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, all right? It's genius there. So 13, though, is on love, and chapter 12 and chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts in the church. So he's talking to the church, and he's telling people in the church, like, you ought to use your gifts, and it ought to be this way, and then he stops right in the middle of that and sandwiches it with love. And he says, you can have the tongues of men and of angels, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. And so what he's reminding us is if our, our love for God is authentic, then we're gonna love his people. And that we can have all the gifts, all the talents, all the resources, and God can be moving in an unbelievable way, but if we don't have love, well, then we have, we have nothing. This is our kind of a, a two-year time where uh, I, two years ago I became our pastor, and so I always kind of reflect, like in February, where I'm thinking back on, on what God has done in our church and what God is doing, and I tell people all the time, listen, we are praying that God is gonna do this, and we're praying for this, and we're praying for this, but let me tell you one thing I'm grateful for. We got a loving church. We have a people that love God and love each other, all right? They might not always love something I'm saying that we ought to go do, but I can tell you they love each other and love one another. Hey, do you love, who are you, who are you loving right now? Who are you loving on? If he was writing about you, if he was writing about your family, would he say, I'm so thankful that you placed your faith in Christ and I'm thankful for your love of the saints, thankful for your love of the church? You wanna know how we wanna place Christ central in your life, where Christ is that center point, is where we place his people in our life, where we love them and we care for them. As you've done unto the least of these, he says, you have done unto me. He was thankful for their faith in Christ, he was thankful for the love of the saints, but he's also thankful for the advancement of the gospel. Look how he words this, he says, you've already heard about the hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and you came to truly appreciate God's grace. Oh, I love this. Let me tell you why I love this. Put this into perspective. What Paul is saying, God, I'm thankful for, is we're gonna find out that this gospel that they have heard and believed in, it didn't come from Paul. It's gonna come from another faithful servant that we're gonna hear about in just a second. And what he is celebrating is that God is expanding his kingdom not only through Paul, 
not only through like the Church of Rome, but it was happening through faithful servants that are going out and sharing the gospel. And he says, I want you to know, Church of Colossae, that I'm, I'm excited that you have believed in this hope. And the same hope of the gospel that is working in your life and in the life of your church is also working all over the world. You see, what Paul could have said is, hey, I'm gonna write my first letter from Rome and I'm gonna write it to a church that I planted. I'm gonna write it to a pastor that I put in place. And he could have said, and I'm so thankful for what God's doing. It's kind of like some people that you know. Every time they tweet or Instagram or Facebook something, they're praising God, but what they're really doing is saying, praise God for what he's doing in me. Like, praise God for like my church. There's a guy that I was, I was talking with and I was asking him if he placed his faith and trust in Jesus. And he says, yes, absolutely. I, I, I know without a shadow of doubt that if I, I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm like, awesome, good. I'm so thankful for your, your relationship with Christ. Now tell me, what, what church do you go to? And he says, you know, I don't go to church. I don't go to church. I'm like, really? Pull up a chair, let's talk, right? Why, why don't you go to church? What's keeping you, you know, from church? And he says, man, to be honest with you, what's keeping me from church is I went to church. I went to church, I was, a, I was a key member of a church. As a matter of fact, I was a deacon. Everybody knows my name, we gave, we served. And he said, man, honestly, I just got burnt out. And I said, well, what does that mean, you got burnt out? Like from what? From like overworking? Now I'm asking like, you know, I wanna keep going. Why, what burnt you out? Like overworking too much? He said, oh no, not at all. Like none of that stuff. I, I like doing all that stuff. I'm like, really, what happened? He says, man, what happened is, is man, politics and drama and he said and she said and this and that and he said honestly I just said you know what I, I just don't want to be a part of the church I just don't want that let me tell you what he's excited about here what he's excited about is not he said she said this or that that stuff happens when we don't make Christ the center focus when Jesus is not the central point. What he says, I'm thankful for the advancement of the gospel, not only in you, but through us to the ends of the earth. That's what's most important. Not about me, not about my name, not about my ambitions, not about what people think of me. He, matter of fact, do you notice yet, he hasn't mentioned anything about himself and what he's thankful for. Lord, I'm so thankful for how you're using me. I'm so thankful for what you're doing through me. I'm so thankful for what you're doing. In, matter, there's nothing said about him whatsoever. It is all about what God is doing through the ends of the earth. Church, I'll tell you what this guy ended up saying was this. He ended up saying, you know what, I was, I was close with people and people knew me and that kind of thing, but when I stopped going to that church, people kind of stopped being nice to me. And he said, and the truth is, I don't know that I'm ever gonna go back to church because I felt used. I felt used. Hey, listen, let me say this to you, guest. What's really important to us at Shirley Hills, and maybe you're watching online, it's a really big deal. If you end up at our church or not, that's beside the point. What's really important is that you live for the glory of God as a part of his church somewhere. Amen, church? Hey, we're not just gonna love you because you're here today, and then if you decide to go to like some other church, I'm like, oh, we'll forget you. We're not, you know, you know, we can't be Facebook friends anymore. That's when we use people to build our kingdom. That's when we use people to build the kingdom of Shirley Hills or the kingdom of your D group. But that's not what he's building. He's saying, I'm thankful not only for what God is doing here, but what God is doing all over the globe. He wanted the church of Colossae to have a bigger picture of themselves. Man, we can get caught in our own world. And he says, no, I, I'm thankful for the faith in Christ, for your love for the saints and for the advancement of the gospel forth. He says, I'm thankful for faithful servants. I'm thankful for those who are advancing the gospel. And, and specifically in this case, he says, I'm thankful for Epaphras. He said, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. 
Paul makes sure that he begins this message, that he's excited for what God is doing in them, but not for himself. That this came through another servant that God is using. Hey, leaders, this is really important. We ought to celebrate what God is doing through the life of other people. I realize, and our pastors, we talk about this all the time, that God is doing things in our church, and most often it is through other people within our church. It's because God's using student ministry or children's ministry because God is using D group leaders and other people in our church. We know that almost every guest that comes here, is, you came because somebody invited you. Somebody reached out to you, somebody loved on you. A large part of what God is gonna do in the life of our church is what God is gonna do through the life of, of our people. What God's gonna do through you. Listen, you can either build your kingdom or his, but you can't build both. And Paul is saying, look, I'm thankful for what God is doing in the life of other people. I'm thankful for what God is doing in faithful servants across the world. Let me ask you, are you trying to build your highlights or are you trying to highlight his work? Is it about what, what you're doing or is it about what he's doing? Man, Paul is purposely deflecting all to the glory of God and how God is using other people. And so we, we wanna say, Lord, help us to be Christ-centered by being thankful for your work in other people's life, for their love in the saints, for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth, for faithful servants that are serving. But lastly, he says, I'm thankful for the unity, for the unity. He says, and he was told, and for Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the spirit. Man, there's, I don't know, there's a better way to talk about our, our unity. He says, I'm hearing about how you have love in the spirit. See, the love that you have one another, it's not love just because you're like DNA and family related, right? How many of you have said something like this? Yeah, well, we're family, we have to love each other, all right? We're kind of stuck, all right? But you know what? Being a part of his church is not being stuck. You see, if God brings you here, you feel like the Lord has led you here and, and you're partnering in with us to advance the gospel. So this church family becomes not just like love by DNA, or it's not just love because like you're married to that person, right? You're not just like loving people because you're like attracted to that person. No, he says this love is a love that is bonded by the Spirit of God. He says, I'm thankful for the unity that's in your church, that the Spirit of God has joined you together. Do you see these things that he's thankful for? All of them are pointed to the work of Christ and Christ's work. So let me ask you, if I asked you today about your prayer life and what you thank God for it, if I'm honest, this week as I was preparing for this sermon and evaluating my own prayer life, here's what I found. And then he said, let there be light, right? Here's what I found. Here's what I found as I, as I thought about my own prayer life is that it was really a lot about me. I began to be thankful for what God has given me and what God is doing in my life and thank you for, and it was all geared toward me. Instead of saying, you know what God, thank you for the work you're doing in this person. Thank you for how you're working here. And so we see in the Apostle Paul that Christ-centered focus, it was on display in his, his thankfulness in other people's, but secondly, it was not only in his thankfulness, but in his prayerfulness, in his prayerfulness. I told our Wednesday night group this, this past Wednesday. I believe in all of my heart there's absolutely nothing that will happen at Shirley Hills that will not first happen through our prayerfulness. Let me say this again. I believe there will be absolutely nothing that will happen in the life of Shirley Hills that will not first happen through our prayerfulness. I think we forget the value and the importance sometimes of, of prayer. He starts off this letter twice by saying, as I pray for you, and then now he's gonna say, for this reason also, since the day we heard of this, since the day we heard of your salvation, since the day that we heard of your growth, he says, we haven't stopped praying 
for you. We haven't stopped praying for you. I wanna just encourage you in this right now. If you do not have a prayer list, today start one. I just start a list, all right? Just take a sheet of paper or a notebook, and today just start writing things that you are asking God to do in the life of your church, in the life of your family, in the life of people that are around you, and just start writing it down. And, and that way you can remember, God, I'm praying for this. People come and say, hey, will you pray for me in this? And I'll pray right there in my head. But then there are some things that I can tell you that the Lord has laid on my heart, and it has been years upon years upon years that we are praying for certain things, certain people. And there are some people that are gonna come to know Christ, and I can tell you right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna hear me all over the streets of Warner Robins, because we've been praying for them for years upon years upon years. Here's what he says, from the first time I've heard of your salvation, for the first time I heard what God was doing in your church, I've prayed for you, and now he's gonna kind of give us an insight into what he's praying for. This is praying with purpose. He's not just generally praying, but he's praying that God's gonna do something in the life. And here's what I want us to do. As we walk through this, I just want us to adopt this prayer. I want this to make this our prayer for us, that we would pray this for our families, we'd pray this for our church. Look what he says. He says, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. First of all, he's praying that we'd walk in God's will. He was praying that the church would walk in God's will. This is the number one question that I get asked. Hey, pastor, how do I know God's will? How do I know God's will for me? Should I date this person? Should I accept this job? Should I make this decision? How do I know what God's will is? And right here he says, my prayer is that you would walk in, in the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So how do I know what the will of God is? He says, well, here's what I want you, to, that the result of that is this, you ready? He says that you would walk in, in his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Man, that should be our prayer. You wanna know what the will of God is? That we would fully please the Lord. Okay, so how do I know in what decision I make? Is it pleasing to God? Does it line up with the scriptures that you're gonna honor him in those decisions? Man, what would that look like? You wanna know what a Christ-centered life looks like? A life that says, I wanna fully please you. Not just like a little bit, completely, I wanna please you. I wanna please you in my speech, my thought, my life. Everything I do, Lord, I wanna walk in your will. Let me show you how he says this is gonna happen. He says it'll happen because you do it with wisdom and with spiritual understanding. The only way as a people that we can walk in the will of God is to be wise according to his word. Not just having a knowledge of God's word, but knowing how the word of God applies into real life, where you live, work, and play, in your home, your life. It, wisdom is the, the ability to apply God's truth into that specific situation, or that time, or that circumstance. So he says, I wanna pray that you'd have wisdom and that you'd have spiritual understanding. That we would know God's word and understand what it says so that as we're living life, we're looking at it through God, I wanna know your will. I wanna know what you would have for us. We just, I wonder today if that's in some of your paradigms as you live. Lord, I'm thinking about a job, I'm thinking about this, I wanna go here, but Lord, let me stop. Lord, I want your will your way, always. Lord, I want what you want. So before I even begin, how can I make sure that this is lining up with the will of God? Lord, is this about advancing your kingdom? Is this about making disciples? Is this gonna, how is this gonna impact our family's ability to make your mission come to fruition? Lord, we want to walk in God's will today. Some of you know already that you're here and you're not in God's will. You're here and you know it. Like God has already made it clear. We don't have to preach on it. Like you, you knew, you came in to church today saying, I really hope he doesn't call out this thing. 
Because that thing you already know is not God's will for your life. And God's already speaking to you on it. So today, my prayer for you is that with wisdom and spiritual understanding, you would turn from that thing and turn to the Lord today. Man, for us to begin to accomplish what God would have for our church to be Christ-centered, it starts with us saying, Lord, I wanna walk in your will. I wanna be fully pleasing unto the Lord. I just wonder today, is there anyone here that would say, you know what, I know that. I know that my life is not fully pleasing unto the Lord. And so today, I wanna begin to fully please God. I wanna begin to take steps in that direction. He says, my prayer for you is that you would walk in God's will. You walk in church. My prayer for us is that we would walk in God's will. What is God's will for our church? What is God's will for your family? What is God's will for my life as a man, as a friend, as a father, as a husband? I wanna walk in the will of God with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Secondly, he says, I pray that you would bear fruit. He says, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I just preached a a five or six week sermon series on bearing fruit, so we're not gonna hit this one too much, but here's what he's saying, is I don't want you just to know about God, but I want it to produce something in your life, that it's bearing fruit, that it is working in you. So let me ask you this, are there any indicators or marks that the power of God is at work in your life? Like if I was to sit down with you today and say, hey man, are you think you're living Christ-centered? Yeah, absolutely, okay. Well, what is God producing in your life that would make you think he's, he's working in me? Well, man, I, man, God is working in peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you know, self-control, loving, sharing the gospel, whatever these ways that, that God would be bearing fruit in our life. Let me say, God's intention for you and I is not for us just to go to church, but to be the church. And this is living out the gospel. His intentions were not for them to just know about God, but because of what they know God and they know him personally, that God then does work through him. This comes to the authenticity that he is calling them to to bear fruit, to, to have spiritual growth. I was talking to a couple this week about uh, following God and what it meant for them to follow God. And this is what they said verbatim, for me to follow God, it means I have to be willing to be unsafe. And what do you mean, like be unsafe? Like, well, my nature tells me to revert back to what feels safe to me. So when God is telling me to share the gospel, like, it makes me nervous. And so I wanna go back to like what's comfortable or easy. Church, if we feel like God's call on our life as the body of Christ is to the easy thing, we have missed it. The call to the gospel is to love the, the least of these, to the hurt, to the afflicted, to share the gospel where there's pain and suffering and life is messy. If we feel like our call as a church is to be safe, we've missed it. No, it's to be dangerous for the sake of the gospel, to be willing to step out into darkness, to go to hard places and to do hard things that people would know the love of God, that we would be a people that bear fruit. He says, I pray that you would walk in God's will. I pray that you would bear fruit, but he also prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of God. He says, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about this and I wanna say it again. I, I, I see this almost every Sunday, every Sunday. What I would replace for us as a church body, what I think is of utmost importance for you and I, is that we have people who are in the presence of God. People who spend time in the presence of God. Let me give you two different ways that we think about this. Some of you view today as church as the day to get filled up. You're like, man, I've been worn out all week, and, and so I need to come today to like get filled up so that I can go survive like the next six days, and I'm gonna need Sunday to end to get filled back up. But what if God's intentions for our corporate gathering is not for us to get filled up? 
What if the reason that we gather corporately is because we're already filled up? Because God's intentions for our life is that we would be growing in the knowledge of God Monday through Saturday that we would be growing filled with the Spirit of God, experiencing the presence of God, living out the glory of God, where God is, is moving where we live, work, and play. God's moving in your home and in your families. God's moving in your community. You're sharing the gospel with people. You're loving on people and being loved back. And then in the fullness of the knowledge of God that we've been culminating in all week long, we then show up on Sunday morning. And now we've showed up on, on Sunday morning. We've been in the word of God all week long. We've been filled with the spirit of God. It becomes an explosion of the Holy Spirit of God amongst the people of God because we have been in an intimate knowledge of God. But what happens, if we're honest, is we have anemically spent time with God. Maybe many of you, today is the first time you've read scripture since last Sunday. Or maybe you even missed it since before then. And what you know about God and how you've experienced him and enjoyed God, it takes all service long for God to just break down the barriers that sin and the world has put up all week long. So you know what happens? Man, we begin to celebrate, we begin to sing, the word of God is preached, and we start to watch like walls fall down. We start to see some of you come in, look like somebody just stole your Fruit Loops. And then next thing you know, you're like smiling, and you're celebrating, and then, but at that time, like, church is done. And you're like, oh man, I'm just getting going. I'm just ready to worship. But what if God's intentions for us were not that we're ready to worship by the time church is over? but we show up eager and ready to go because I've, I've experienced the knowledge of God. I have known him. I've known him in his word. I've known him in my life. I, I've been, it's been Christ-centered all week long in such a way that I'm experiencing God even in the difficulties and the joy of the Lord has been my strength. And so now when I show up and, and we're ready to worship God, man, it is just this outpouring every Sunday of what God has done through the life of the people of Shirley Hills as we've lived for the glory of God Monday through Saturday. I mean, hundreds of people are released into darkness to be the light of the gospel. And we've seen God heal the sick, love the poor. We've seen God literally reconcile relationships and reach the lost. And as a result, we come to celebrate that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is risen and he's risen indeed. And Sunday becomes a celebration of all we've known about God. I like option B. I want it for my life. So our prayer then is Lord, help us to grow in the knowledge of God. God, help me to see you and know you more fully every day where we live, work, and play, that I would experience you as we go. He prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Do you know him more fully in your mind, in your heart, and in your soul? He says that I want you to, to grow in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, he says, though being strengthened with power, according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. The last thing that he prays is not only they would walk in God's will, not only they would bear fruit and they would grow in the knowledge of God, but they'd be strengthened with power. They'd be strengthened with power. How do you know if you're walking in the power of God? How do we know if we're walking in the power of God? Anybody ever see like one of those strength teams, you know, where they like take a like plastic bottle and blow the thing up like a balloon? I'm over here struggling to get the cap off sometimes and they're just like, you know. Yeah, ever seen that? Take a phone book and they can like rip it in half. Anybody ever seen the like strength teams? I'm like, God, those guys are like massive and they're strong. Now, that's not all of us. 
But how do we know if you're walking anemically or if you're walking, it says, with the strength of his might? Uh, maybe let me ask it this way. How do you think God desires that we would walk? In his might or in our might? In the power of his strength or in the strength that we can muster up? Here's what sports and everyone else says. They say, you can do it. You can do it. All right, that was like, wasn't that the Nike motto? Like, you know, you can do it or something like that? Yeah, no, you can't. We can't do it. We don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the might to do it. But he does. And so Paul's prayer for them that he would walk in the strength of, of his power. The, the guy that I was talking about earlier who had left church, I brought him to that verse. I brought him to that verse. You know why? Because listen how he references how we walk in his glorious might. He says, so that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, how do we know if we're walking in his might? Well, one way is that we're walking with endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. I had a friend uh, that uh, some of you are probably gonna know him when I say his name. So let me just say, I have a really tall, really strong friend. I don't care, his name's Big A. That's what I called him. All right, Big A's like six, seven, real strong guy. We played basketball, we, we grew up, and, and Big A would walk up beside me sometimes, and I wasn't looking. I'd be talking to somebody, surprising. He would just like give me a little hip check. And I would like almost fly across the room. I mean, I'm like, dude, you're gonna like break a hip, all right? Like he was so big, he, he was such a, a strong guy. And he would say, you gotta strengthen up. So I started like learning when I knew he was around. I couldn't just kind of like, stand there like on a hip and like not pay attention. I had to like brace myself. I had to like, all right, here we go. And so then he'd come up to hip check me and I'm like, poof, I gotcha, right? How, how many of you have stood it in the beach and, and you were just standing there talking to somebody not paying attention and a wave just come up and just like drill you, like knock you out, right? Some of you are probably on YouTube getting rolled up by a wave. Right, you gotta stand like with some firmness, some strength, cause you know you're about to get hit by a wave. You, you have to be strong. He says, I want you to walk in the strength of his might. And, and how are we know this? That you might have great endurance and patience. What I've told this young man is, listen, you allowed things in this life or even in church to knock you off course. But God has called you to be strengthened in his might, to love his church. See, the reality is in this place, and I want everybody to hear this in as much love and as grace, but in truthfulness. The reality is for some of us, we've just grown too soft. We are so easily offended that, I mean, it, it just the wrong joke, and you know, I, I can't come to your church anymore, and I'm like, okay, well, we like to laugh, but hey, it's okay. Like, we're too easily offended in society. Some of you, you're at our church right now. You're visiting our church because, man, you were at another church and somebody hurt your feelings, and the best thing I can tell you is you need to go back to the church God originally called you to be at with strength and endurance, and you be the difference maker where God's called you to be. If God's called you to be here, then let's be here, but don't come here with a weak sauce. We wanna be strong and we wanna have endurance because all of us are gonna get hit by the waves of life. Every, amen? How many of you have been given a reason by life to not follow God, to not trust him, to not go after him? Every person is. That's why when we're walking with the strength of his might, we have strength and endurance. Oh, we don't just go like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna go take a hiatus. No, we, we only have so much time to live for the glory of God. I pray that God, as we're strengthened with his might, that he would give us endurance, he would give us patience, and that we would joyfully give thanks to the Father who's enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You see, strengthened with power is walking in endurance and patience, but it's also walking joyfully. See, the strength of his might says, oh yeah, things are hard, but God is good, and he's good all the time. 
I have reason to have joy because I have his strength. So as we close today, as we think about living and praying with purpose, are you walking in God's will? Are you bearing fruit for the glory of God? Are you growing in the knowledge of God? And are you being strengthened with his power? Man, today, some of you, man, we're gonna have a time of response where we're gonna come and pray. And your prayer needs to be, you know what, God, I feel like I'm losing some endurance. God, I feel like I'm losing patience in my life. So Lord, I just wanna fall on my knees today. And God, I wanna ask you for your strength. I wanna walk in the strength of your might. Maybe some of you today, Satan has taken some joy from you. Somebody has taken some joy from you, but you know what? They can't take it, only we can give it. So today, some of you, what needs to happen, you need to fall down before the Lord and say, God, I want the joy. Would you return to me the joy of my salvation? Maybe some of you today, you know, you just need to pray, God, I want, I want to follow and work in your will. Man, whatever it is, we're going to know, we'll know he's the center of our life by our prayerfulness. I pray that we would do that. Father, right now, move our church. God, that we would be a people who walk in your will. Lord, we'd be a people who bear fruit. Lord, that we would be a people who grow in the knowledge of you and that we would be strengthened with your power. That when our community, when our families, when people around us look at us, it becomes evident that we're not walking by our own strength, but we're only able to stand in yours. That it would bring honor and glory to your name, the name above all names. So God, I just ask right now in the most authentic way we can, we just pray, Lord, would your spirit do work in our church in such a genuine way that where we live, work, and play, people can't help but to see the Jesus in us. And the Lord, they would desire to be honor and glorify you with their life. Lord, right now, move us to respond to the gospel like the church of Colossae did. And Lord, like Paul, we pray, Lord, with purpose, move us. Let us be moved by you. Let us respond to you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you guys to stand with us. We're going to sing together and we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Maybe you're here and you'd like to join the church. Our pastor is going to be down front. You come on right now. We'd love to help you. Or maybe you're here. You just want to come and pray. Man, you guys come. Don't hesitate. We need the Lord and his strength. You guys come and pray. Or maybe you're here today and the reality is it's time for you to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We would love to help you in that. There's no greater day than today for you to respond to the gospel and come to know him. Our altar's open. You guys come. Let's sing to the Lord.